right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time to say Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Lots to talk about today. Uh, KU takes down Nevada, 31-24. A little too close for comfort, maybe a little bit, uh, into the late night. Don't care, 3-0. You weren't able to to go to bed maybe as early as maybe some of you hoped. That Uh, did suck. I'm sure there were some people that were like, ah, if they get up 28 in the third quarter, like, I can go to bed, right? Didn't happen. Yeah, that did suck. You're right. But also, don't care, 3-0. Best part of winning ugly is winning, 3-0. Don't care. Lance Leipold reminded us of that today at his uh, media conference. We'll we'll share some Lance Leipold audio later on in the show. We're going to get plenty in the KU-Nevada game. We got your Chiefs recap, NFL Monday overreactions, Case of the Mondays. David Lesky is going to join us. Also, we're going to get into this. Arterio Morris stuff. He has been suspended by the Kansas basketball team. Let's start with football, though. 31-24, the final score for Kansas. And I I wrote a note down that there's something about Kansas having slow starts to lesser teams, which um, I guess could also be applied to the CBS Sports Network starting the game, because that sucked. Yeah, we need to have a we need to have a dialogue about Mr. Jacob Bortilla. Well, what really sucked. How does he? How does he yeah. still manage to? to Unbelievable, spike? man. Unbelievable. Missing the field goal for Vanderbilt to prevent KU from being on the TV earlier, which <laughs> was not just a a deal in itself, but that was the best drive of the game for KU football that was missed there or the first half, I should say. Their best drive of the first half, the touchdown yeah. drive, I mean, they went was right missed. Yes. It was missed because of Jacob Bortilla. Yes. So uh, that's that's not cool, man. Um, Disavow. Yeah, UNLV saved saved the day by yeah. going down and getting a, a field goal to win the Still game. Still missed some good amount of time though. Yeah. It, well, it's stuck because it wasn't on. You know, usually like, when it's on ESPN, dude. it's like, oh, we're gonna put it on ESPN News or on ESPN Plus. But it's like, yeah. They don't have that. It's CBS Sports Network. You know. <laughs> so that's yeah. stunk. Well, dude, the UNLV and what sucks is the UNLV Nevada game was actually awesome. Like I was watching, I was like, dude, this is a fantastic <laughs> game. UNLV I just wish. Yeah. What did I say? Uh, Nevada. Oh, UNLV Vanderbilt. Sorry. Yeah. UNLV Vanderbilt game was like actually awesome. Like it was so cool, but I was just so annoyed because I wanted to watch KU that I just it was just it was annoying. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. But yeah, I, I was thinking about this, and, and in regards to KU, obviously had a slow start. You're tied ten to ten at half with Nevada. I mean, I guess I don't even know if that but game like, could okay. be considered a slow start because it was say, close. Did all they the have through. a slow start because yeah, it was they, just the whole game went right down the field and scored a touchdown. That's fair. The game. Okay, well, well, maybe whatever way you want to look at it, KU maybe playing down to the opponent. Do you want to view it that way between the Missouri sure. State first half and the Nevada yeah. game? Yeah. I think it can be applied very easily. One, uh, this KU football program is as much better as they have gotten, and they're winning these games, which you just, you should celebrate, right? Like that that's an important thing. You know, five years ago, this would have been a gigantic deal, even going on the road and beating Nevada. Um, but it's just you're, you're still learning that process of winning games and and that sort of thing. And two, it shows that yeah, there still are steps that the the program is having forward. But again, don't apologize for winning a game, especially on the road. I was uh, 
looking through some of the teams that have lost this season, whether it's been at home or on the road to lesser opponents. As you'd imagine, college football, the list is long. It is hard to win on the road I mean, in college football. Dude, just look around the what happened to the Big 12 on Saturday. Seriously. Oklahoma well, State. Week one. Blasted. Miami, Ohio beats Cincinnati. Like, there were some bad results. Again, go back to week one. Baylor beats, uh, or Baylor loses to Texas State. Oklahoma State only, you know, beats Central Arkansas by 14. Like, you had, BYU only beats Sam Houston by 14 points. Don't apologize for winning. Take the win and move on. Yeah. Now, that said, when you are looking back at the game and going, okay, well, I, I'm fine with it. If you won like this, if it's a one-off, if it's a one-off, they play well the next couple of weeks. It furthers the idea of just taking the win and, and hiding with it. If this, where where it becomes tricky is trying to divulge, where do you just say they weren't playing their A game and they had some of these external factors and found a way to win versus where do you say maybe this or that could be a sign of things that they don't do well or could have problems with? Oh, yeah. Oh, I 100% agree with that. I mean, it's to a certain point, if you continue to, to struggle – it's not that you played badly. It's just right. that that's, that's who you, you are. are right? That's what you are. Yeah. You're just not a very – which, like, obviously we know based on KU and what we saw from them against Illinois and at times against Missouri State that when they are playing well, we know that they're a much, much better Yeah, team. and that makes me think this is going to be a one-off, and to be dude, clear. And, dude, listen, it's, in college football, almost every team, even your Georgias and your Alabamas and your Ohio States of the world, has a game or two in the season where they're just not totally sharp. I think okay, it was last it year, like, Georgia-Kent State – yeah, it just about? happens. Well, I mean, Georgia almost lost to Missouri last year. Yeah, remember? That was a very, very tight game. Georgia was only up. I mean, it just happens. It's just, it's just, it's college football, man. These are eighteen to twenty-two-year-old kids. You're gonna have a game or two where not everyone is locked in. Yeah, Georgia just, only just, beat Kent State thirty-nine to twenty-two last year, and that was kind of a game. Yeah, that's just, that's just how it yeah, goes. it happens. That's just how right? it goes. You have a game. You have a game or two like this. Every year. Yeah, and, and so that's that's the two ways of looking at it. There's the one way of looking at it and going, well, you didn't do this well, and that's going to be a bad sign because you're going to play better teams who could exploit that more. The other side of it is when you weren't playing your best, especially in college football, where it's a 12-game season. You know, this isn't college basketball where if you lose a game on a buzzer beater, you can get it back later. You have the NCAA tournament or in the NFL where there's a 17-game season. College football where one win can be the difference of making or missing a bowl game, can be making or missing a conference championship, making or missing the college football playoff. One game can seriously be the difference in college football more than any other sport. Find a way to win the games when you're not having your A game. And I will say as much as, yeah, there are certain things that you would have liked to see KU do better or are bugged that they didn't have this go their way or something. Win the games where those types of things are happening, where weird things are happening against you, where the other team is getting lucky with a bunch of fumbles. Win those games, and that is how you have special seasons. Like, as much as we think back, like the Orange Bowl, for instance, the Orange Bowl season for KU, you think back, and and obviously you think back to, like, the Nebraska win, where you just put an absolute beat down on Nebraska, and that that's going to be like a game that, that sticks out for a lot of people, right? But, like, you win a six-point game at Kansas State, and and I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I mean, Kansas State was a solid team, so maybe it's less than that. But, like, how about winning at Colorado by five points, right? Like, in a game where, um, I don't know, like, you're playing a, a Colorado team who after that loss drops to four and four, but you didn't play your best game in that Colorado game in 2007, but you found a way to win. Same thing kind of at A&M, who was, like, a decent team, but you found a way to grit it out and win. To have special seasons, as much as you have to have special games and have those highlight performances, which they did against Illinois, you have to be able to grit through in performances like this and find a way to win. And they did. So, did you see, you may have seen on Twitter, the uh, net success rate 
graph yes. that started floating around that had like KU winning by a lot. I'll just say this. I literally don't care about those stupid graphs. I think they're dumb. I think it's I, I, I don't understand it at all. People always it's like the stupid uh shot quality that you see in college basketball all the time, like yeah. Oh, if you made more shots, you would have actually won by nine instead of five. <laughs> oh, thanks. I didn't realize that. Wow. Turns out if I make two more buckets, I would have won by nine instead of five. Yeah. Really? You're just telling me this for the first time? Thanks. No, I get what you're saying. And like at the end of the day, what happens is what happened. We we can't judge things based on what we think yeah, could have happened yeah, I, if this I, 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 I understand really, what you're saying. I think, I really think though to me it speaks to the broader point that because I'll be honest, I was looking at the box score after the game. I didn't realize. In-game, I was just watching the game, wasn't really looking at the stats. After the game, I looked at the stats. I sat down and went, if you blindfolded the scoreboard and said these are the things that KU did to Nevada in addition to that success rate you were talking about, you would have thought KU would have won a lot more comfortably. I mean, KU had 24 first downs. Nevada had 14. KU was 7 of 11 on third down. Nevada was 7 of 15, which is still a good mark, but that's obviously worse than Kansas. Nevada also 0 for 1 on fourth down. Kansas had 441 yards of offense, which is a good number for them. Uh, Nevada only had 258 yards of offense. That's like very little. Uh, Kansas had 298 passing yards, 11 yards per throw. Nevada had 113 passing yards, 5 yards per, per, per throw. Kansas had 143 rushing yards. Nevada had 145. So that's I mean, not a wash right there. Nevada definitely got had some very, very fortunate plays for them. I mean, they did. You fumbled five times. Yes. And five. All of them. Five times. Five times. Typically, fumbled. the average is you're going to lose about half the fumbles. You Like, Kansas had two fumbles. They lost one, right? Yes. You're going to lose about five fumbles. Didn't lose a single one. And so that's where it comes down to. It's 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 a lower possession game. You were minus one in turnovers, and you had too many sloppy plays. Whether it was the penalties, I, mean, I don't think Nevada played that poorly. To be honest, no, with I don't think they did either. I thought they played a pretty good game. Probably. Okay, think about by, this by way. their standards. If you recover the fumble, it was a great play by Kenny Logan chasing the guy down on on the one. Uh, where the, where the guy kind of broke free and was about to score a touchdown. They ended up scoring a touchdown on the drive, I think, to tie to 24. If Kansas recovers that fumble, that's at least a seven-point swing. You win 31-17, you're not even having to sweat it out at the end. If you recover two of the well, fumbles— The biggest fumble that I can remember is the one where it was in Nevada territory and Hayden Hatcher recovered it out of bounds. Yes, that's that would have ended that the game. Yes, that's the, the one game. that made the big, right? biggest difference to me. No, I mean, so typically what they say is— I remember Jesse Newell used to talk about this. I think on average, like a turnover is worth about four points per turnover, like, you know, in your direction. So, theoretically, if you recover two of the five fumbles, which stats would say you're going to recover about 50%, so that's even slightly lower than the stats, that's an eight or a nine point swing. It's an eight or a nine point swing your way, and you're not having to sweat things out at the end. Now, even if they won by 14, would we walk away from this game going like, because the expectations were to kill Nevada. And I do think that probably there was too much played into that because of the fact that Nevada played so poorly the first two weeks. I think they probably just played they, they better played in this really game. Good game. I thought, also, I Idaho might be actually really good. They almost <laughs> they were up 17-14 to 14 on Cal on the road, which, yeah, Cal's not great, but they'll probably win five. Cal almost beat Auburn. Like, Auburn will probably be a six or seven win SEC team. So, like, I don't know. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. Point is, when you look through the stats, it is clear Kansas was the much better football team. They just almost had weird stuff kind of go against them that would have cost you the loss. But again, you found a way to win. Now, the one thing that I do take out of this game, that going back to the conversation of be happy you won and find a way to win versus what might scare you a little bit more moving forward, it's honestly nothing from like a schematic perspective or like, oh, this didn't play well. I saw some people being like, you can't give up 24 points to Nevada. I'm sitting there like you gave up 258 yards to them 
and you had a turnover in the game, like, and they just hit a couple big plays. I don't think the defense played bad at all. I thought the defense actually played pretty good, but it's it's the sloppiness and the the undisciplined plays, the penalties, penalties seven penalties, are penalties for fifty three yards, including in key moments of the game, and that doesn't even account for like you have the pass interference on the deep ball they caught. Otherwise, it would have been eight for you know sixty eight at that point. Um, it's it's just those things, the the fumbles continuing to have the fumbling issue, the penalties, the the decision making stuff. Like, um, I don't know what you thought about the the punt at the end of the game. I thought it was fine. They worked out. They executed perfectly, pinning them down at the one. I probably would have gone for it, but I don't have an issue with it. My bigger qualm was at the end of the first half. Uh, Nevada has the ball, goal to go situation. They're running the clock down under two minutes to go. Kansas has timeouts. Oh. And they're just letting the clock run down. And Nevada yeah. ends up getting a touchdown with, I think, 25 seconds, 26 seconds, somewhere in that range, 24 maybe. And you end up not having any time really to go down. And I think you tried to do a Hail Mary at the end of the game or at the end of the half, um, but it didn't work. But you got close to midfield. Wouldn't it have been nice if you would have called a timeout on one of their plays and had another 40 seconds to go down and maybe get a field goal or a touchdown? Because at the end of the day, if you would have even gotten a field goal at the end of that first half, all of a sudden, the score at the end of the game is 34-24 when Nevada has the football for the last two minutes. And again, you're not sweating it out. So yeah. those are the things that I look at, and I'm like, yeah, you can't continue to do that stuff if you want to win games. I mean, the danger of games like this is, like you said, if it if it's still a one-possession game, danger. Yes. So if you, you're right. If you were up, even if you're up just by 10 late in the game, who cares? Right. Well, Kevin Flaherty says it all the time. We'll have him on tomorrow. He says... Uh, What's the best way? Because one-score games, you do have your certain teams like Iowa's traditionally, year in and year out. Iowa does really well in one-score games. But that's just because they play a billion one-score games. They're used to it. I have a bone to pick with Brian Ferentz, by the way. (laughs) Okay, we'll we'll get to that later. Um, You know, certain teams like Nebraska always do bad in one-score games. Is it a coaching thing? Is it just uh, it's ingrained? I don't know what it is. There's certain teams on both spectrums. But for the most part, where most of the teams live— is kind of sandwiched in the middle, where on a given year, you might have the right quarterback and luck combination and coach combination where you're going to go, you know, six and one in one score games. Other years, you might just downtrodden on luck. Maybe you don't have good of quarterback or this or that. The cost you go one and six. And then most of the average teams, you're going to wind up around 500 in one score games. What Kevin Flaherty always says is the best way to avoid losing one score games and avoid weird things happening is to not be in them. Correct. Yes. So just, you know, don't do it. Don't do it. And that was the beauty of, like, the Illinois game, for instance, right? Illinois gets the ball at the end of the game. Some weird stuff happens. You have the the stop on, on fourth down on a play where it looked like the play before. Daniel Highshot got over the line, got the first down. They don't give it to you. Then you get stuffed on fourth down. Uh, but you're up 11, so it's not a big deal. Quentin Lasseter gets the interception. Even if Illinois would have scored on that drive, still would have had a, a one-score lead, and they would have had to perform a miracle onside kick and then gone down and scored again, right? So you had that coverage. In this game, you didn't have that. And that was a worry. When Nevada got the football, it was a little bit like, if Nevada goes down and scores this, they're going for two. I was too tired to worry, honestly. You were? Like, you okay. know what? It's fine. It's 1.30 a.m. It's 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 going to be all good. And it was all good. And KU got the win. This is a game that you are going to definitely forget, which means that in about two or three years, it might be an RCSC trivia question, and you might not remember. So keep that in mind. But, uh, yeah, this is a game that – throw it away. Throw away the tape. Just be like, you know what? It was There were some weird circumstances. Mm-hmm. You were kicking off at 2 a.m., basically. Yeah. Really, really late. Uh, plus the weird travel <laughs> on the road against a bad team. Whatever. Yep. Win is a win. Move on. 
Yep. All right, we'll leave it there. We'll talk more KU football throughout the day. I do want to get to this Arterio Morris stuff. So if you missed it, Friday night uh, there was a story published by the Kansas City Star. Cannot, um, I don't know, uh, I cannot do it justice by what we're about to talk about. I would just recommend please read the article yourself. Trace Lada did wonderful work on the piece, and I, I do believe there were a bunch of people from the Kansas City Star who contributed and helped out because this was such a big story. So shout out to everybody over there for for putting this together. Uh, but go check it out at KansasCity.com. I'm going to read a couple excerpts and a couple things because I just want to make sure they're as factual as possible and make sure that I don't say something absolutely wrong. Um, I'm not going to give you everything from the story. There will be certain things I'm going to paraphrase here, and I'll let you know when I do that. Uh, this is just the opening like paragraph or two. Kansas men's basketball guard Arterio Morris has been suspended from the KU program following a rape accusation that was reported to the University of Kansas Police Department. Morris is not named in the incident report, but a KU athletics official told the star he, quote, has been suspended from the program and we have no further comment, end quote. A second source confirmed an allegation has been made against Morris. Uh, the police incident report, uh, this is me paraphrasing, confirmed the location was McCarthy Hall. That's obviously the KU basketball dorm. Uh, back to the article part. KU men's basketball players Johnny Furphy and Elmarco Jackson are listed on the incident report as witnesses. KU basketball's Nick Timberlake is also listed under other. A witness can be someone who saw or heard the crime take place or may have important information about the crime or the defendant, according to a U.S. Department of Justice definition. A source with knowledge of the situation said the men's basketball players listed as witnesses or other on the incident report were interviewed after the fact and, quote, not involved in the incident at all. They are not under investigation or anything that like, like that remotely. So nothing to worry about in seeing those players' names. They're just, you know, telling their story. Um, the victim noted on the incident report is an 18-year-old Missouri woman listed at 5'3", 107 pounds. The alleged incident occurred between 4.30 and 5.30 a.m. on August 26th and was reported at around 9.50 p.m. on August 27th, according to the incident report. Uh, declined comments came from uh, basically... His agent, his mentor, Bill Self, Travis Goff, all declined comments on everything. Uh, and then uh, the case is still open and Morris hasn't been arrested, nor has a warrant been issued for his arrest. The Douglas County District Attorney's Office told the Star on Thursday for the article, at this time, this case has not been presented to our office for charging consideration. Uh, Shreyas Lada did put an update in late Friday night on Twitter that um, basically said that now it has been sent over to the uh, Douglas County District Attorney's Office. So, a lot to unpack here. Um, obviously, this comes with Arterio Morris just a few days after the case settled um, in his previous situation. Now, I believe I was, I was reading in The Athletic today, and um, their kind of little aggregation and story on it said that um, – the suspension, it was confirmed for them that the suspension was not about the settlement. So it was about this. And you might be saying, oh, but, you know, uh, going back to the the first part of this, that uh, Morris is not named in the incident. Okay, well, why else would he be suspended, though? And why would all this no comments be happening? If it wasn't him, somebody would have commented and been like, it wasn't him, right? So <laughs> you, you can kind of add two and two together and uh, put that together. I'll say this, though. Like, we go back to the case being settled. I know some KU fans and some people viewed that as, oh, it's a win. He's done with this case. It, it was not a win. It was it was not negotiated down to be nothing. He still had to pay a fine, which basically indicates there is some level of guilt there, and he still has it on his public record as part of what it was turned down to. I believe KU was under the... Um, 
under the guise that they thought Artario Morris was going to get off from everything altogether, that he was going to fight this thing through. And so the fact that he even settled to begin with was probably pretty alarming for KU. And then this stuff comes out, and obviously he's been suspended. Obviously, they're going to do a report. I will say this. I wouldn't expect a a quick or swift resolution. This is probably going to take a lot of time. But if you are KU, and this is my opinion, I think you should cut dice. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think I can blame you for for having that opinion. I mean, this is somebody who has really been a bad PR guy from the beginning. There was obviously a lot of questions surrounding him originally joining the team. You know, uh, I think it's a tough situation because on one hand, you know, we do we do like to give second chances and offer second chances. But my thing is, you got to if you're going to give second chances to somebody, that person has to has to show that they are active and willingly also trying to improve themselves and this is a situation where with something like this even if you know with the allegation yeah I, I don't think you can really view that in that light so new no. it's uh it's 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 difficult and it's uh well it's and, a- and that's what got me from the get-go because i do agree that i tend to live in the world of we should give people second chances my problem with this from the get-go was that it was never viewed from that standpoint. It was viewed from the standpoint standpoint. of, well, Texas didn't suspend him, so why should we? It was viewed from the standpoint of, you go back to the Jeff Goodman podcast with Bill Self where he said, you know, he's going to get to play with a chip on his shoulder now from the stuff that's happened. You view it from the standpoint of, he didn't do anything wrong, as opposed to being, yeah, he messed up, we're going to try to make him a better person and move on from it. And this, to me, feels like a kind of unfortunate result of that. And this sucks because... You know, I, I, mean, I was very anti this from the get-go. I didn't think it was a smart move for KU. You can recruit anybody in the country. It's a privilege to play at Kansas. You didn't have to bring this kid in. And that's yeah. what's unfortunate about all of this to me is that, you know, th- this is a really crappy situation. I feel so horrible for this woman that was put in this position by KU bringing her bringing Artario to the school. Yeah, that, that's the issue is now you've affected the lives yes. of a lot of other people in, in very negative ways. I mean— Think about Johnny Furphy. This dude, this dude's been in Lawrence for like three weeks, and he's yeah. doing something like this. Imagine, I mean, dude. That, I mean, Imagine being Johnny Furphy. And now you have to be a witness yeah, within a week gone, of you being on campus. You've gone seven thousand miles across the globe to play at for Kansas, and within the first like literally three weeks of you being in a brand new place that you've never been to before, and you're you know eighteen year old kid, and the, and then you have something like this that comes up as well, where you have to be where you are listed as a witness on something like this. So it's just a it's just a bad situation all around and and yeah I think the the frustrating part is this this was always probably just viewed from the basketball standpoint uh, it was never necessarily viewed from anything beyond that and something that stuck out to me was a quote from Bill Self's press conference back in April when he basically said in fact I have the exact quote here where he said my goal is to take this place to a whole different level that we've never been to before and, and he said that back in April right and now when you look at something like this with the Moria situation maybe the unsaid part of that was at any cost. Mm-hmm. And now that's that's come back to bite you. Yeah. And the right situation is, with Arterio Morris off the roster, Kansas is still a top five team probably in the country. So with all that being said, is it really worth the continued PR, the continued headache, the continued issues of having a guy like this on your team when you are going to be a national title favorite regardless of if he's on your team or not? Yeah. Is, that, is, is, this, is, is any of this even worth it anymore? And I'll be honest, even if it was the difference of being number three and number 14, like 
I, I don't think it matters. I don't think it should matter. But no, no, that um, shouldn't that shouldn't be the reason. That I mean, yeah, yeah, that's, you're right. That shouldn't be the reason why you make a decision. But. Right. So obviously, it has on court impact in terms of who's going to play guard, who's going to get these minutes here. You know, how good could they be? But we have plenty of time to kind of talk about that. And I guess there is a chance he's he's just suspended. He's not off the team. He's not out of the school or anything. So they're going to wait for stuff to come out. That's what I mean about this is going to be a slow process. It's probably going to be a while before some of this stuff finds out. I'll be honest though, if I was another player on KU, you mentioned Johnny. Furf, you mentioned if you're one of the witnesses, I'd be pretty upset. And I'd be like, hey, what are we doing? If, 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 I, I guess it depends. They were in the room, they know what happened. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, very unfortunate situation and, uh, just absolutely sucks. So, Arterio Moore is suspended by KU basketball. All right, we're going to take a timeout. David Lesky joins us in less than 15 minutes. We'll get to our hit of the week brought to you by Pearson Collision next. Welcome back into RCST. Uh, by the way, the KU Texas game next Saturday. So KU BYU this Saturday, 2 30. Nick will be out with the Kiss Group, Big Mail, noon to two. The following week will be at Texas. That'll be at 2 30 as well. And they put it on ABC. So KU on primetime. How about that? Love that. Um, okay, our hit of the week brought to you by Pearson Collision. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football, but in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision in Lawrence. So I think there's some options here. Honestly, if, if if they would have recovered any of the fumbles, <laughs> any of the five, those could have been great ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, if you force a fumble and you get the turnover, yes. that's obviously a good hit. Right. I mean, the Kenny Logan chase down, the one that uh, Hayden Hatcher, Tywin Berryhill almost had. I don't remember who forced that one. Uh, there was one. I th- I forgot about this one until I rewatched the game this morning. J.B. Brown crushed a guy. Yes, it was. They ran that reverse yes. near the KU red zone on like when it was it was the the drive they got the field goal to make it seven to three at the beginning of the game. Jeremy Robinson snuffed it out well, forced him to go back the other way, and J.B. Brown just yeah crushed Literally him. He lost the football like a missile. Yes, unfortunately they recovered it as the other ones. Um, I think to me the winner has to come from the last drive for Nevada. You, th- I think there's three big ones from the last drive because obviously that's what won KU the game. So uh, the first one, this wasn't like a big hit, but it was an important one. Nevada had third and one at their own ten yard line. There was a minute thirty two left. Obviously thirty one twenty four. They threw a pass to the running back behind the line of scrimmage in the flats. He got the first down. But Melo Dotson and Cornell Wheeler like tripped him up. They kind of sandwiched him. He was really close to splitting both and. It would have basically been a one-on-one with a safety at that point to try to bring him down, maybe 20, 30 yards downfield. That could have been the play that kick-started the drive for a possible upset there. Um, but they made the great stop, held him to the 14, even though he got the first down. That was obviously big. Then Nevada, that next series, has third and one with 55 seconds at their own 23. Uh, they threw a pass to the flats. Melo Dotson smacked the receiver, and he wasn't able to secure the catch. That obviously was important because it forced fourth and one. And then the very next play on fourth and one with 49 seconds left, Nevada ran a jet sweep. Kenny Logan read it the whole way. You see, as soon as the guy starts coming in motion, he starts creeping up from safety and then just darts in, makes the TFL, and they end the game. Yeah, I'm a, I'm kind of want to go with the Kenny Logan okay. pick. I think Kenny Logan or the J.B. Brown big hit on the jet sweep. Those are my top two picks. I mean, yeah, it's, oh gosh, J.B. Brown did crush him. I mean, by that the was letter of the law, hit. by as hard as the hit was, it was I the J.B. Brown, Brown one. The Kenny Logan was the most important. What do you think here? Can we give them both one? I mean, we, we make the rules. I mean, I guess you can we give them a half? No, 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 no. We have to no, pick no one? Half. No, no halvesies. Let's, let's, All right, let's, let's go with J.B. Brown. Okay. J.B. Brown's my guy. J.B. Brown. I want to pick Kenny. Kenny Logan played a great game, he by did. the way. He did. So a good maybe game. he deserves it, too. But so did J.B. Brown. J.B. Brown, baby. Pearson Collision knows accidents happen, understands the stress and pressure. Pearson embodies trusted experience, meticulous repair, and they work with your insurance. Pearson Collision Repair, 7th in Connecticut in Lawrence. David Lasky joins us next to talk Royals baseball on KLWN. Depend on it.
Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll have your Case of the Mondays, NFL Monday Overreactions, Chiefs Recap, and plenty more KU football talk coming out throughout the remainder of the show. Right now, though, we're joined by David Lesky of Inside the Crown to talk a little Kansas City Royals baseball. Just a few more weeks left of the season. I guess we'll just start what happened, you know, just moments ago, I guess, uh, minutes ago. Uh, the Kansas City Royals put up a four spot on the Guardians in the eighth inning. They won 6-4, to four, comeback win. Is the comeback officially on, David? Uh, will they get to 60 wins? Will they win out the rest of the season? <laughs> yeah, no, um, they won't because, <laughs> no, uh, sadly not. But, I mean, I know I've harped on this, and I, I kind of made a decision when, when this season went, um, you know, three-quarters of the way down the toilet by, like, April 7th or whatever it was, to, you know what, I'm going to – I'm not going to say that they're good. I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, this is a, oh, no, what you're seeing is wrong. They're actually a good baseball team. No, they're not. They're terrible. Um, but there are <laughs> positives. There are positives on the team, and I wanted to spend some time focusing on those. And I, and I think that one of the biggest positives that we've taken away from this season is that they are not, they're not they don't roll over, which I, I know people look at that and go, oh, congrats on not, not rolling over in a game, in a season, whatever. But we see it all the time. I mean, look at what the White Sox are doing. You know, like, like watching them play baseball is difficult because they're just not, they don't care. They're, you can tell they're toast. And they know they're toast and the world knows they're toast and all that. It's just, it, it, it's tough. Um, and, and the Royals, they know they're toast too, but they, they don't play like that. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that from a leadership standpoint. I appreciate that from the guys on the field. I mean, that's a really positive attribute of a team that can carry over. And that's, they're not the same talent level, but that's the attribute we saw from those teams a decade ago that, look, Hey, I know we're down by two in the eighth, but whatever, we'll work some walks, you know, we'll, we'll do this or that or whatever. And, and not, not give up even in a, a lost season. And I, I, I don't know, like I said, I just appreciate that attribute about them. Yeah, I, I mean, it makes it a little more enjoyable, I guess, to uh, watch over the course of the Because everybody's watched that sports team that they've just given up. And it, it makes, yeah. e- even if the records are the same, it, it just makes it so much more miserable. We've all seen it happen. Yeah. Um, well, now, and, and you're just watching games that you know are over in the third yes. inning. It's just, it, it's not, it's not interesting. And at least there's some interest. Get, there's no interest in the Royals' result. But there's interest mm-hmm. game to game, at least. Yes, exactly. Well, uh, Bobby Witt Jr., um, he is uh, rather close to winding up with a um, 30 home run season, 29 home runs right now. He had his uh, 47th steal of the year earlier today against the Guardians. So really close to, to being one of those 30-30 players, which is obviously a big deal. What do you think the reasonable expectation for both those numbers should be next season and, and kind of a quick follow-up additive to that? Could you see Bobby Witt Jr. at some point in his career hitting 40, dare I say 50, home runs in a season? I mean, a lot of that depends on the ball, honestly, because we don't know what ball they're using from game to game, it feels like. So that hasn't been an issue this year that has been brought up, but I mean, I still think that there's probably something going on there. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what, it, what the ceiling is on home runs. Um he clearly has big power. He clearly has the bat speed. He's clearly able to catch up with fastballs now that he's made some adjustments. Like There are all the attributes of a guy who can hit basically as many home runs as can be hit <laughs> in, in, without 
chemical enhancements, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, I don't know what the what the upper level is. There, I don't see a reason. I guess I'm getting at. I don't see a reason why he can't hit forty. I just don't know that I'd predict it, just because that's a difficult number to get to, especially. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen guys now, Salvi and and Jorge Soler both do that with the Royals. But it's a big park. I mean, it's it is a diff, eighty-one games in the biggest outfield in baseball. It doesn't help your home run output. I'll tell you that much. Um, unless you're apparently Nelson Velasquez, but um, I mean, I think it's possible. I think that you know he's a guy that should hit thirty to thirty-five homers and should steal. Until he gets his contract. Well, we'll see how he, if he keeps running after that. A lot of guys stop running once they get their big contracts. But, I mean, he should be with the rules 40 to 50 bases. He's got that kind of speed. Um, he hasn't even I, – I think that there's more in the OBP tank for him, which, you know, obviously the more times he's on base, the more steal opportunities he has. So I, I think that even if he slows down a little bit, he could still get to these numbers. Um but with a player that talented, and this, this sounds kind of ridiculous to say, but there really isn't a limit. I mean, it's just whatever he is, it, it, I don't want to put a limit on anything because he's just so so freaking talented and can do so much with a bat in his hands that I don't know what he can do. And, and I don't think anybody does. So I, it's, 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 a good, it's a good position to be in as a Royals fan. Uh, what do you make of Taylor Clark collecting some saves recently? Um, not much, honestly. I, I think it's just hey, we we gotta get three outs. Um, we, we gotta finish this game somehow. Uh, you know, I, I think part of it is the Royals. Their their bullpen right now is an open competition. Um, there is not a single player who, um, who you look at in that bullpen, you say, yeah, he's. Write him in ink in the 2024 bullpen. Like, the, there just isn't anybody. Carlos Hernandez was that guy, but, man, he's struggled since, since the trade deadline. Um, so I, I think some of it is, hey, we got a guy who's arbitration eligible. We, got, we want to see him in these situations to see if, he's, if we should keep him, non-tender him, um, you know, what, try to trade him maybe in the offseason. I don't know. I, I don't make a whole lot out of it. I think it's more interesting in a game like today and, and they didn't have the lead when Jackson Coar came in, of course. He did get another win, his second win of his career. Um, but to see him being used in late innings, James MacArthur in the ninth inning, who, by the way, has looked just fantastic. Um, I mean, I'm really impressed with what James MacArthur has done on the mound. So those guys, I think, is more, they're more interesting than Taylor Clark. I mean, they, they, make, they mean a little bit more as far as way in the future, I guess. But you know, with Clark, I think a lot of it is looking at 2024 and seeing, okay, we need somebody. We we, we got to have guys that can get, can get some outs. Let's see if he can do it in the ninth inning. Well, going back to what you mentioned about Carlos Hernandez, what what are your expectations for what his role is going to look like next season? I have no idea. I have no earthly idea. Um, I I I hesitate to say anything about what I think is the real issue because I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy at all. But from things that I have heard, it sounds like there's. Some some mental aspect to the game that he struggles with some, and um, you know you look at some of the runs he's given up. A lot of them have come after a bad call. Um, we saw it in Boston. We saw it in Toronto. A lot of them have come after an, a, a 
weak ground ball that didn't get turned into an out for whatever reason. Sometimes it's somebody's fault, sometimes it's not. Um, could it be coincidence? Yeah. I had heard in the offseason part of why they didn't want him starting was because of the four days off in between. They weren't sure what that was going to do mentally for him. Um, so, you know, when, when you when you hear that, you're like, oh, okay, there's something there. Um, so I, I don't know that you can go into any season expecting to compete at least with with Carlos Hernandez in a high leverage role. Um, I mean, I do. It's hard. It's hard to look at 100 miles per hour and the break on his on his slider and his splitter and say, well, there's no spot for him. But I don't know. Do you just put him in middle relief and say, hey, dominate the sixth inning? And that's okay, I guess. But I I, I don't know. Well, I I don't know. Is this crazy to use him as just strictly as an opener or or as like a multi inning reliever where where he's like a yeah, two inning guy? I don't know. Well, look, I mean, Alex Marsh is a guy who I I don't know the reason for this. Um, there are any number of possible reasons, but he has struggled as a starter um, and done really well when he has an opener in front of him. So, I mean, if you say okay every fifth day, that's a role for Carlos Hernandez, and then. You probably assume that once a turn, I can't imagine they're going to improve the rotation so much that that they get five, you know, top top quality starters. You probably assume that once a turn, he's going somebody's going to be needed in the fourth or fifth inning. Okay, that's a spot for Carlos Hernandez, and and now you're pitching him two out of five days, and you find one more day for him. I mean, that that could be it too. We're talking with David Lesky of Inside the Crown here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, Salvador Perez hit the seven day IL. With a uh, concussion, any reason to play him the rest of the season? No, um, they probably will, but no. I mean, it's, <laughs> well, I guess I don't know. Seven day. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't give him a lot of time to play him. Doesn't give a lot of time left. Um, but they could. I, I'd still be pretty surprised if he doesn't play again this year. Um, but there's no reason to. Um, what do you think in terms of with the infield having guys that? you know, are are trying to carve out bigger playing time or starting roles for next year. And uh, I I know you wrote about uh, on Inside the Crown kind of the differentiation of of playing Bobby Witt at third versus short with Michael Garcia over there and and how they've done kind of on the defensive end of the field. When you're talking about filling in the gaps this offseason, about what they do have and kind of figuring out where you're going to place each of those guys. How, how do you think that affects the offseason in terms of, like, is there a dimension or something or position that maybe makes the most sense to add to the team? Yeah, I mean, part of the problem is what's available, and there's not a lot available. Um, and we, we don't know who's, who's going to come available in a trade. There might be you know, a piece or two that, that we don't even think about right now. But I, I think you're more likely to find somebody to play third base if you're looking at the infield and you can you can figure something out with Michael Massey, Michael Garcia, um, Nick Lofton. I mean there, there's, there's a lot of options which are it's great and I think my I think Michael Garcia has proven he can start in the big leagues. Um, he's been excellent defensively at third. So I mean if you want to go out and get a second baseman and make Michael Massey a backup or a or a platoon guy, that's fine too. Um, it's just it's harder to find those guys, I think. So I think third base is where you look if you're looking. I wonder what the Royals do, though, because they do have internal options. Nick Lofton has looked good. Uh, Michael Massey has 
I mean, there's, there have been moments where he, there have been long stretches where he looks good, and he's been really good defensively. And I mean, you figure first base is probably probably covered by Vinny Pasquantino. I don't think, I wonder a little bit if Nick Prado gets non-tendered, honestly, because they don't need to necessarily. He's got options, so I mean, they, they could absolutely keep the depth. Um, but he's kind of superfluous. I mean, you can go out and get a Matt Beatty every winter. I know people didn't love Matt Beatty getting playing time, but if you really need somebody, you can go out and get Matt Beatty. You know, a guy like, obviously this wouldn't happen, but Ryan O'Hearn was readily available and then has been pretty good for the Orioles. So those guys are out there. The, the, the Ryan O'Hearn that didn't work with the Padres, I don't know if there's one, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. those guys are there. You don't really need Nick Prado. And so I, I wonder if they do some things with, with first base as well since Nick Lawson's gotten some time there. I mean, there, there's it, it's a... I don't want to say difficult offseason for J.J. Piccolo and his bunch, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of work. Um, I don't know. It, 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 there's, just, there's just a lot to do. And, and I don't, and there's a lot of possibilities and a lot of different ways they can move those parts around. I'm very curious to see their, their strategy this winter. Just two weeks left of the regular season for the Kansas City Royals. I don't know if you've, uh, started uh, to have thoughts on, on all the extra time you're going to have on your hand. But uh, while we are finishing out the, the final two weeks of the regular season, like what is, what is your main reasoning or plea that you would give to people to be like, okay, here is why, because you might be thinking at ah, two weeks of the season, we're in football season and you know, they're obviously out of it. What are reasons to continue to watch? Is it, is it the young players? Is it Bobby Witt seeing you know, what the final stats? Can he put up 30 and 50? I, I don't know. What are the main reasons that you would tell people to continue watching over the last couple of weeks of the season? Well, I think you want to watch every Cole Reagan start because he's electric. Um, the numbers weren't great on Saturday, Saturday night, um, but he looks good. He looks fine. I was a little bit worried after that Toronto start, so that, that's good to know. Um, yeah, I mean, Bobby Witt Jr., Michael Garcia, they run. They're, they're, this is kind of a fun team to watch. They're not good, but they're, they're, they're fun to watch. They, they play a fun brand of baseball. And, look, I get it. I had tickets yesterday. I didn't use them. I, I watched the Chiefs. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I tried to give the tickets away on Twitter or whatever it's called. Nobody wanted them. That's okay. It's fine. Don't watch them on, on Sunday. And you know what? If you're watching your favorite college football team on Saturday, that's fine, too. But Monday through Friday, what else are you watching? You know, there's a writer's strike. There's not new television. <laughs> so watch the Royals. They're kind of fun. It's two weeks. Yeah, they will be putting up new episodes. We don't need writers. The Royals, if we if there was writers, they'd be doing a very poor job. They'd be very poor. Yeah. Very poor. Um, okay, well, uh, with that being said, who is your player of the week? Hmm. Player of the week. <laughs> I want to I wanna go away from Bobby Witt Jr. again, but I can't. I mean, I just, I just, it's just the Bobby good. Witt Jr. Award. It is Bobby Witt Jr. I mean, look, so there, there, there's two guys. Um, Michael Massey at 353 had three homers this week. Um, he actually had a better week than Bobby Witt Jr. Um, but he only did an 18 plate appearances, and Witt had 28. Witt also had a had an eight, a roughly 18 percent walk rate and a 3.6 percent strikeout rate. So I love, I love the fact that he's, he's working walks. He's not striking out as much. Um, because of that, I want to I wanna buoy the last two weeks of the season with, a new, with another player of the week award. 
Okay, I've, I've never done this, so I apologize if this is ruining the sanctity of the Player of the Week award, but would you, would you dare, would you like to call your shot? Who do you think will be Player of the Week next week? Wow. Mm. Well, um, it, it, it's nice. We actually have a, a game under our belts. So I, I know one of the six results so far. Um, so that, that, that helps me quite a bit. I, ooh, you know what? I'm going to call my shot with the man it's about, Bobby Witt Jr. He's going to hit his 30th home run. Go 30-30. He's going to do it tomorrow night, by the way. So if you're, if you're looking for something to watch on Tuesday night, Bobby Witt Jr. is going to hit his 30th home run tomorrow night. And okay. going, to, going to have a big week. Okay, there we go. Let's see uh, David Stradamus or Nostradavis. Something, or <laughs> David, I don't know, whatever. Uh, if he homers tomorrow, I, I want all the praise next week. Okay. Okay, well, uh, I don't know. I'm sure you might get some. If he doesn't, you might get some people who put some bets on uh, Bobby Wood Jr. to hit a home run tomorrow. And if it doesn't hit, you're gonna the pitchforks are going to be out, so be careful. Tell you what, if, if, he does, if you place a bet on that <laughs> and he doesn't homer, you can get a free subscription inside the crown. Wow, look at that. Yeah, just, just put your email in. I'll, it's on the house. <laughs> I love it. Go to Inside the Crown right now. Uh, do it even before you put the bet. How about that? David, I appreciate yeah, the time as always, man, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Derek. All right, that's David Lesky inside the crown joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. Case of the Mondays next. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We uh, are going to talk some more KU football at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We've also got our NFL Monday overreactions coming up in our next segment. Kansas City Chiefs 17, Jacksonville Jaguars 9. They did it. They won a game. Good job, Chiefs. They will not go 0-17. Good job, Chiefs. Um, by the way, uh, I, I think it, it almost is necessary to talk about all the contract talk because there, there are three big bullets, I think, as part of contract talk that all relate to this game. The first is Patrick Holmes today breaking news that uh, he restructured his contract that will pay him now a little over $210 million over the next four seasons, so uh, over $50 yeah, what, million dollars per year. Right? Yeah, through 2026, and that'll be the most in NFL history over a four-year span. Um, his restructure includes a guaranteed salary through 2026 and allows the Chiefs to restructure the deal or do another extension following the 2026 season. So basically, this is just removing the money. and yeah. So all the clowns who can say, Oh, the yeah. Mahomes contract looks so good. I don't care. Please stop. He's the highest paid. Right. I don't care. And this was always, as much as everybody was, you know, oh, yeah, like you said, it was always going to be this way. It was always going to be this way that the Chiefs were going to take care of him and make sure that, you know, every few cycles, he might be the highest paid every year because somebody else will get some at some point. The, the part, but every few years he will be. The part that I'm most confused about, though, is like, I don't I don't really understand the verbiage on how they're going to revisit it in 2026. So, like, they basically, like, reduce the length of the contract? I don't really understand. Yeah, that's the part I don't understand understand where it's, did they change the contract? It was supposed to be like, what, 15 years, right? Or 10 years or whatever? Yeah, no. They just lopped off like This is technically right now, we are in year two of the 10-year deal that he was given. So I don't know if this is a restructure to that where it's just for the next four and then the last six are like they originally were and then they can restructure. Yeah, I have no idea. Or if this gets rid of that deal and now he's only other contract. Either way, it doesn't matter. Patrick Holmes is the chief and he's going to be a chief as, as yes. long as And I'm not going to pretend right. that I know all the no, muddy the, verbiage yeah. crap regarding contracts. By the way, as far as it pertains to the game, 
I looked up at the stats at the end of the game, and I was like, how did Patrick Wallens have 300 passing yards? Because that was not like a great game for the <laughs> offense. But he had 300 passing yards. That's unbelievable, he just, man. He just does, man. He just finds a way. Yeah, he just does find a way. Um, other contract stuff, Chris Jones needs a contract. Dude, give him yeah. all the money. He was so good on Sunday. Dude, best player on the team. I think he was the best player He's on the field. Back. Yes. Yeah. No, 100%. On, on 100%. Sunday, yeah. Yes, on Sunday, yes. Best player on the team on Sunday. That's what I meant. Yeah. Uh, he was phenomenal. Literally had multiple game-altering plays that he made uh, late in the game. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, his his value and his ability cannot be understated. Uh, I I think I think maybe, I don't know, through this whole process, I feel like at the beginning, a lot of Chiefs fans were like, yes, pay him. And then as it dragged on, they were like, no, actually. They got frustrated like, with him. Screw that guy. Yeah. yeah, like, actually, never mind. But, like, dude, I mean, you just see what he does. And, I mean, obviously he's not. You know, with, with with Mahomes, it's like blank check, right? Right. <laughs> with, with with Chris Jones, it's like it's like God. You know, he's just so good, and he probably is. I mean, but is he is he a defensive version of Mahomes? Is he worth that much? Oh, uh, I don't know. And like, it's so hard to 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 really write a blank check for a guy who's not a quarterback of that level. So, God, I don't know. But man, I mean, just off of a one week performance. He's the guy that you want you want on the Chiefs. I don't know how you get it done, but I think you got to find a way at this point. I don't know. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think the best – I think really the best situation for this from the Chiefs' perspective is like at the very least they've just bought themselves some more time to really mull over what they want to do, I guess. Right? I mean, they basically – they now – essentially Brett Veach has an entire season to decide am I going to trade this guy? Am I just going to pull a Tyreek Hill and do what we do with Tyreek Hill and trade him whatever? Or – is this or like? Do we actually need to sign this guy long term? Now, of course, that could backfire if Chris Jones has a defensive player of the year type season, and suddenly instead of wanting thirty one million, he wants like thirty five million, sure, or whatever. I don't know, or whatever he, whatever what he could possibly demand. They, they took. I I did think it was weird. Adam Schefter like tweeted something out. I think it was over the weekend. Yeah, dude, Adam funny. Schefter is such a chill wrong. for agents, and also wrong. he's just wrong. It, it was something to, uh, to the tune of. Well, first um, of all, was it he was Schefter the one that tweeted out the the crap about how like. The Chiefs, there was some sort of issue where they're not going to be able to franchise tag him? Yeah, it was like they don't have the, the salary cap to do so. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, he then he sa- tweeted which again. Is just blatantly wrong. They have like 40 to 50 million, depending well, where you look at the And then he tweeted again about the Chiefs and was like, this is the only noon game of the season, which was also wrong. <laughs> they have another noon game on Christmas Day, I think. Dang. That bums me out. I didn't know that one was wrong. That bums me out because I was, I was excited for that to be the case. No, I'm pretty like sure that. they play at noon on Christmas Day. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's a Saturday game or something. Maybe he's not counting that. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, but yeah, man, Chris Jones only played 24 snaps, and yeah, it felt like he was the best player on the field even despite that. He had, what, one and a half sacks. He had uh, maybe another tackle for loss. He had uh, the pass deflection of Trevor Lawrence. He had a couple other times where he got, he didn't get a sack, but he like forced Trevor Lawrence to maybe step up into the pocket. Like yep. the George Karloftis yep. sack, that yeah. was because of Chris Jones. That was Jones. Chris Jones, yes. When you watch the replay on that, he Chris Jones actually comes from the outside mm-hmm. and moves him in and... George Karloftis cleans up. By the way, George Karloftis also had a great game. He also. did. Yeah. yeah. That that could be quite the uh, duo this year. between. And they don't even have Charles Omenicu back, which, I mean, you know, yeah. add that to an, another player in uh, after the first six games of the season. Uh, and then you have the big contract that you already gave, which was to Juwan Taylor. If this was in NFL Monday Overreactions, the question would be phrased this way. Is Juwan Taylor already a bust? No, he's not a bust. Okay. Well, that was no. if it was NFL Monday Overreactions. But they Dude, gave him a four-year $80 million. So Stupid man. No, he's fine. Okay, 
Here's what happened. Somebody pointed out that he was getting a false start on a lot of plays, and so the officials were like, hey, that big dude gets a false start every play. And so they started watching him a little bit closer, and they were like, tweet, tweet. Oh, flag, flag, flag. No, he's fine. Everything's fine. I've, I have, I could not be less concerned about Juwan Taylor. Seriously. Okay. It's not concerned at all. Uh, again, four years, $80 million. He had five penalties. He even got benched at one point during a drive. He will not have five penalties going forward. Well, by the way, this the five penalties—sending game from the officials. Five penalties are the most by a player in a single NFL game since 2000. So it's been a long time. I do agree with you. It was a message-sending players. Uh, I saw some other offensive linemen like came out to his support and were like, yes. "I didn't see him lining up all this wrong," or "I've done that before and I haven't gotten called for it." So that'll be interesting. Yes. But my biggest worry Dude, about it—I can't it, imagine how many rules like that. Like, okay, first of all. Prior to last weekend, did you even know that it was a rule that your helmet's supposed to be in line with the belt line of the center? No. I didn't. Exactly. Yeah. There's probably th- like hundreds of those rules that get bent or broken every single play of a game that nobody cares about. Yes. Okay? Until somebody's like, wait a second, what? <laughs> he, he should, he's getting a full start every play. And then all of a sudden, here come the flags, and here come, here come the NFL rules police on Twitter that think they know everything. No. My biggest worry is that it is it gets to him mentally. I think he'll be fine. The penalty stuff gets to him mentally, and then he starts overthinking certain stuff and where to line up, and then that leads to bad play on the field. That would be the big worry. I do agree with you. I think he'll be fine long-term, but it certainly did uh, maybe raise a little bit of a question there. My biggest takeaway overall, though, was that the defense is for real. Because I yeah. know it's only two weeks of the season, but the Lions were, I think, the number seven offense a season ago by like DVOA. Jaguars, that was a top 10 offense a season ago, and one that you had reason to believe they're going to be better this year than last year because another year of Trevor Lawrence. They got hot midway through the year, so you'd think that a full year this year. They added Tank Bigsby in the draft. They added Calvin Ridley. Um, This should be a top 10 Jaguars offense. And you held them to nine points. Um, yes, it did help that the Jaguars did not realize you needed two feet. Dude, they don't would have had zone. the greatest college game of all time. <laughs> Calvin Ridley at the end, too. Yeah, Calvin um, Ridley, yeah. So, yeah, that did help you. But still, you have now against the Lions and the Jaguars. If we take out the Canarius Tony pick six that went off his hands and was pick six by the Lions, <laughs> your defense has given up 23 points. To two offenses that oh by the way you muffed a punt at your own ten that yeah that gave too. the Jaguars a free field goal yeah so really it's even less than that really it's twenty points that your defense has given up and that was one game without Chris Jones and that's two games without Charles Omenihu now I guess theoretically me saying two games without Charles Omenihu like there's always going to be somebody injured it's the NFL it's football always somebody's going to be injured the defense looks for real my biggest takeaway from the defense was beyond them being actually good mm-hmm. which is kind of a wild thing to think about for the Chiefs because their defense is always bad uh, but my biggest takeaway beyond that was the depth of talent of the linebacker position like Drew Tranquil yeah. will probably go down as the most underrated free agent signing maybe in the NFL. I mean, that dude is it's legit. crazy how cheap of a contract. So good. Like, really, really good. And in the game, you have Nick Bolton get banged up and Willie Gay get banged up for a few plays. And Leo Chanel came in and was maybe the best linebacker out of any of them when he was playing. So the depth of the linebacker position for the Chiefs is very real. You know, no longer – it's a thing of the past where you had, like, Derek Johnson and then a bunch of bums or whatever. Like, now – you have really quality linebacker depth that you can utilize in a lot of different ways. And and obviously, Drew Tranquil's a great cover guy. Willie Gay is a heat-seeking missile. Leo Chanel, kind of similar, it seems like, to Willie Gay. Nick Bolton's a do-it-all guy. Like, you have a lot of quality depth players that can do a lot of different things at the linebacker position that really, really, I think, opens things up 
strategically from Steve Spagnuolo's perspective where he can do a lot of different stuff now. Oh, and on top of that, if you have Chris Jones up front, you can get a, a really good pass rush without blitzing. So they have that on top of it. And then you throw in Trent McDuffie in the back half and LeJarrius Sneed and those guys and Josh Williams and in the secondary. Like, this is a really good Chiefs defense. Yes. And it's 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 new. It's a little bit uncomfortable because <laughs> normally you're just like, oh, Mahomes go score and then whatever, we'll figure the rest out. Well, now you have – I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just I, I'm very impressed with what they've looked like so far, really at every level uh, of the field. Uh, offensively, obviously, the receivers were going to be put under scrutiny after week one. I thought they had a nice bounce back. Obviously, there were still maybe a few drops or, or still a few plays like Kadarius Tony having the fumble. They did recover it. Overall, they had a good bounce back, at least on catching the ball. I will say, I, I still think you're not seeing a ton of separation from what they're gaining. I mean, there's a lot of tight windows Mahomes having to throw to. There's a lot of times Mahomes is just not able to throw the ball and he has to run or throw it away because people aren't getting open. But that was more in line with what I kind of you kind of expect from the receiving core where it's like this isn't a great unit, but they're gonna at least do some things well. So yeah. that was a positive. But overall the offense has been kind of lethargic to start the season. Are you worried yeah, at all? Um I don't know. I guess the, the one concern you could have with, with the Chiefs coming out of the Jaguars game is it not it wasn't that they just couldn't run the ball. It's that they didn't even attempt to. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but they opened the game and like their first 16 plays, like 15 of them were passes. Which like I think if you if you flash back to like 2019, I would have been like, dude, that's awesome. Throw it with Mahomes every single time. But like you still need to you still need to have a little bit of run game. I don't know. I mean, I don't want Mahomes' arm to fall off. So <laughs> I, I don't really know. I mean, again, I don't I don't even I don't want to say it's a concern because that might be too strong of a word, but completely just abandoning the run game, not even attempting to run. Like, not, little, like it's not like you were trying to run; you just got stopped. You didn't even try. Mm -hmm. Didn't even attempt to run, really, for a good chunk of the game. Uh, was a bit interesting. I mean, Pacheco. I think I, I don't know if it was like a if it was because he was limited, but he doesn't look limited because he runs like a maniac. Uh, I mean, that dude's literally a psychopath. He had the one big run, but yeah. yeah uh, so I don't know. I'm not really concerned about it. And then uh, listen, I gotta I gotta keep pointing to the sign. Stop returning punts or don't try to field punts. What are we doing? I thought you said it's fine to field punts in the NFL. You just said it's not okay to field kicks. Yes. I know. This is where it gets a little bit tricky because I, yes. Generally, my thought process is in the NFL, you should try to field punts because NFL punters are insane and they'll punt it to the two-yard line every single time. So you should try to field it. But, God, I mean, I don't even, I don't even know what to say anymore. I mean, how, how is this possible? It doesn't matter who goes back there. We just keep dropping punts. Well, at what, what is point going on? do you then go, hey, maybe it's the coordinator. Maybe it's the special teams coach. Maybe it's Dave Tobe. You should still never return kicks, which the Chiefs luckily didn't really do that. And you should never you should never return punts. But you still should field them. Otherwise, you'll be at the two-yard line. See, you dropped it. I know. That's the problem. So. I'm really. It's a real conundrum for me. I don't know what to say. Okay. All right, we're going to take a time out here. Um, we're going to get to our NFL Monday overreactions. That Wait, next. Uh, Chiefs, 16-1. All right, there's his first overreaction. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN. Depending on it. About quarter till five here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. More KU football, Arterio Morris talk coming up in the five o'clock hour here on the show. Before we get to any of that, it's time for our NFL Monday overreactions. All right, so continuing our conversation from the Chiefs segment, the Chiefs defense is top five in the league right now, today. Monday, 4.46 p.m. Central Time. 
top five. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I'm trying to think the other top defense. Like Dallas is really good. New England's really good. The Jets. They've, yeah, Jets are really good. I don't know. There's a lot of good defenses out there. That I think this is a bit of an overreaction. But I also think if you said like, like I, I don't know, there, there's a range in here. If you said this is a top half defense, that would be a very mild action that I think is very factual. I think there's a good chance that this ends up being, based on what we've seen in weeks one and two, a top 10 defense in the NFL. So it's really not that far away, but I'm, I'm not going to go quite to top five. Yeah, I think it's an overreaction right now, but in a couple months... Maybe not. Because like everything, every every level of the defense feels really good. Once now that you have Chris Jones back, with Chris Jones, George Karloftis is is looking like the guy we saw in the back half of last season when he was good. Chris Jones gives you your superstar in the defensive line, which you kind of have to have at this stage to have an elite defense. Like you think about Pretty it, like, much. like the the Jets have Quinn and Williams, Quinn and then Williams, they have a bunch Michael of other guys Parsons, who can. Yeah, exactly. Michael Parsons, uh, Josh Uche uh, with uh, the uh, the Patriots. Yeah, Aaron Donald. Yeah. Right, you have to have at least one of those guys kind of on the defensive line. They have that. I uh, like the rest of the, uh, you know, with Karloff, this what you're getting once Omenahue gets back. You mentioned the linebackers. They might have, like, the second-best linebacking core in the NFL. Behind the Niners. Behind the 49ers, which theirs is ridiculous because they're also guys who are, like, elite in coverage for yes. linebackers, which that's what takes them over the top. But you might have the next best besides them. And then the secondary, it's like, Okay, I don't know that they're like a superstar secondary, but they got a lot of depth. They got good players. Like, yeah, no, it's at the very least the top the half of the league secondary, 100%. right? Yeah. So yeah, I think it's I think it's probably a top ten unit. Um, could they get to top five? Yes, but I'm not going to quite go there yet. All right, Eric Bieniemy, engineer of the Washington Commanders mm. comeback against the Denver Broncos. <laughs> he is an elite offensive coordinator, and the Chiefs' offense is going to miss him this season. Okay, not an overreaction that they're going to miss him, but at the same point in time, I don't know, I guess still Patrick Mahomes, and I, I trust Matt Nagy as the offense coordinator and Andy Reid. Um, I do think this is a bit of an overreaction. Now, I will say, I mean, Washington just put up 35 points. They're averaging 27.5 points per game with Sam Howell, whereas you're averaging 18.5 points per game with Patrick Mahomes. So clearly you would be like, what's what gives? What's different there? I, I think it has more to do with the finding the timing of the receivers and Travis Kelsey being out of game and trying to yeah. establish the running game. Maybe you could say, though, that Eric Bieniemy. I think Bieniemy has always been somebody who was trying to be in the ear of Andy Reid of being like, we need to run the football and establish the run. So maybe you are missing that. I do think you're missing Eric Bieniemy. Obviously, it helps to have more good minds in on the offensive side of the ball or around the coaching yeah. staff. But also, like, I, I don't think this is going to be the end of the world. Yeah, I think Eric Bieniemy is... Definitely an elite offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's in a reaction at all. And I, I, what's funny to me about this is go back to the the uh, preseason where there was the crap about the Washington players. Oh, Eric Bieniemy coaches us too hard. Well, guess what? When you're successful on the field, who cares? Okay, you do it because that's what makes you good. And guess what? They're two and zero. Exactly. So and that and pe you know players will buy into that if you if it's successful and it is because Eric Bieniemy is a successful coach. Okay. So if I think the moral of that story is, if you're if you are going to be a tough coach and you're going to demand a lot from your players, which we know Eric Bieniemy does, we know from the time at the Chiefs he does, you have to back that up with being smart as a coach and being and executing and and be, and then it, it turning into success on the field. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, guess what? Everybody buys in, right? So I think Eric Bieniemy is definitely an elite offensive coordinator. I think that's very well established. And I think the Chiefs will probably miss him, but I also think the Chiefs will be fine. I think both those can be true. Right, I think they can, they can miss Eric Bieniemy and still be a really good offense. I think yes. both those can be true. Yes, and I agree with that. All right, next up, 
the Bengals. They're 0-2, and they're going to miss the playoffs. They're going to pay Joe Burrow a bajillion dollars just to suck. Okay, so I actually am... Man. I'm going to feel so stupid if I agree with this that it's not an overreaction because the Bengals... Well, then go on a run Remember, and like win the Super Bowl. People forget the Bengals right? started 0-2 last season. I know. But it's just like at some point, if you keep starting 0-2, eventually it's going to come back to haunt you. Don't you, you think. think? You would think. Now, it's it's not just that. It's about, I guess they probably didn't look too good in doing it last year I mean, either, Joe Burrow stinks. That's the one thing. That's that the one thing stinks. that makes me think this isn't the thing. Because it's clear the, the calf injury is bothering him. Is yeah. it not? Well, he, I think he just stinks. Well, I think he is stinking <laughs> right now because of the calf injury. I think Joe Burrow's an unbelievable quarterback. But so far through two games, 57% completion rate. He only has 304 passing yards yeah. through two games. They can't get the ball, though, like Jamar Chase. Yeah. Jamar Chase has 70 receiving yards through two now, games. T. Higgins did have a good bounce back game for them. Yeah. But they, they still lost because they stink. Yeah. I uh, uh, Again, like I want to not say this is an overreaction because I look at that division and I'm like, okay, clearly the Browns are pretty good. Ravens. I still think the Steelers really will be like decent. They'll win seven, eight, nine games because that's just Steelers. what they do. Like they're not a pushover. And then, yeah, the Ravens are really good. And you look at the schedule here. It's like, okay, Rams at home. That's a toss-up game. <laughs> At Tennessee, probably win, but that's a toss-up. I don't know, man. No team, guess, in, yeah. no team since, like, I saw the stat earlier. No team since 2018 or something like that has more wins as underdogs than the Tennessee Titans. Okay, so that's all they do. Toss-up game. All they do is win as underdogs. You should win in Arizona. Seattle at home, you know, they're a good team, but I don't know. You should win. And then after the bye week, you're at San Francisco versus Buffalo. That could be two losses. <laughs> uh, versus Houston at Baltimore, and then versus Pittsburgh. Maybe you go 2-1 and one there. But then you're at Jacksonville. You still have at Pittsburgh, at Kansas City, Cleveland at home. You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. At threat okay. of the Bengals doing what they did last year and then almost winning the Super Bowl or winning the Super Bowl, it's just different to me this year because the difference last year was they started 0-2. They still had a healthy Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow came out of this game. It's not just that he's dealing with the calf. The, the conversation was that the calf has gotten worse. That's a little scary. They should have just rested him for the first two games. They, they really should have. Mm. I'm going to say not an overreaction. How about okay. that? I agree with you. Why? Okay. Because the Bengals stink. All right, moving on. Justin Fields. He's had his opportunities. He's had his chances. He's not the guy. No, I don't think this is an overreaction. I know it's only been two games into this year. Um, this is not an overreaction. He has two touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, guys are running open. He's not finding them. They can't throw the ball downfield. He's just not seeing them. So, uh, I don't think he's the guy. <laughs> is this a Bears organizational issue? Man. Well. Is it an overreaction to say that? I, I, I think, mean, think about the run yeah. of quarterbacks they've had. They've anytime, all been. Anytime that you have that run of poor quarterback play. I mean, th this was the Chiefs before Patrick Mahomes, to be honest, in terms yeah. of homegrown guys. Like, they were able to get good years out of, like, Trent Green and Alex Smith and, and some other guys. But in terms of homegrown guys, it's a combination. It's an organizational thing. It can be a front office thing, it can be a coaching thing, and it can be a you just even have the though wrong they've guy. cycled through multiple coaches. Yeah, but it can just be you have the wrong guy too. I, I think it's a little bit of everything, you know. Yeah. Yeah, For instance, yeah. if you put Justin Fields with Andy Reid, is he better? Probably, but like, I mean, what if you put Justin Fields in the What if you put Justin Fields in the Eagles? Are they just as good? Mm, that's a good. That's question. I mean, they're basically similar players. Yeah. Yeah, but I just uh, the one thing that I go back to is that like Jalen Hurts showed so much progression 
his into his last like two years of college, whether it was at Alabama or at Oklahoma, in terms of passing the ball. And obviously, he made a big jump. And Fields, the passing numbers are ridiculous in what he did at Ohio State. But you go back to what like Ryan Day has done with quarterbacks, and you just see them. And like I remember going back, the scouting report on Justin Fields was he never gets off like his first read. It's first read, or he's you know throwing it away, or he's just running the football, or something like that. Like. But most of the time, the first read was open because Ryan Day is that good of an offense coordinator and they have unbelievable receivers. Yeah. I think you're seeing that be an issue in the NFL. So, um, but that is a fair question. So, I don't know. The Cardinals, they're not the worst team in the NFL. No, I don't think this is an overreaction either. Now, I'll be honest. I mean, there was a moment there where the New York Giants were the worst team in the NFL history. <laughs> They've been outscored 0-60 to 60 to start the year. And you go back to their last game of the previous year, they lost, I think, 38-7. to 7. So, did somebody from the Cardinals front office... Take the elevator from the press box, down to the locker room, go to Jonathan Gannon and say, Hey, Caleb Williams, stop trying to win. It's possible. That's kind of what happened the week before, too. You know, every year we do this, there's one team where it's like very clear they have the worst roster, but they grit and grind their way to winning like four, five, six games where they're still bad. Like, oh, you don't make no mistake. Cardinals team. That's the thing. Like, it's, remember that Dolphins team a couple years ago with Brian Flores? People were like, you should win coach of the year because they won four <laughs> games, you know? Like, they'll grit and grind their way to four or five wins. And then it, what's funny about that is it always ends up being the team that is usually the worst team that then, like, it's the team right in front of you. Like, yes. you're the, the Texans. The Correct. Texans are going to be the worst team. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I look at it and I'm like, okay, I think there's a, like, you, if you're just giving me the numbers, one of these teams will end up being worse. I still think the Raiders are going to be really bad. Clearly, the Broncos are bad. Um, I don't yeah. think both of those will necessarily be as bad as dick. getting the first pick. Um, but, like, yeah, the Texans are really bad. I still think the Colts are really bad. Obviously, they just beat the Texans. <laughs> so I don't think the Colts, especially with Anthony Richardson hurt now. We'll see how long he's out for. Um, so those are a couple there. Um, who else could be? The Bears. The Bears, honestly. The Bears, they, they might be yeah. one of the worst teams, yeah. right? The Panthers the, might be really the, bad. The, yeah, I was going to say, the jury's still out on the Panthers. Yeah, we'll see tonight. Yeah. All right, the Dolphins, they're a top-five team in the NFL. They're going to make the Super Bowl. Ooh. They're, they're, going, they're going to okay. the Super Bowl. Overreaction, they're not going to the Super Bowl. Are they wow. a top-five team? That part Wow. I'm trying to think. Like, in my head right now, the top-five teams, I'm still just giving benefit of the doubt to the Chiefs to be in there. Um, Ravens might Chiefs, be. Eagles. Eagles would be in there. Cowboys Niners. would be in there, and then Niners. So, That's yeah, I, I don't have the Dolphins. No, I don't. Yeah. Well, okay, here's the issue with them making the Super Bowl. They've been really good, though. The issue with them making the Super Bowl is, and this is, the, I, I'm, I'm going to continue to harp on this point over and over and over again. In the AFC, you are, in order to make, the, and just to get to the Super Bowl, just to make the Super Bowl, you're going to have to beat one of Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence. You're going to have to beat two of those guys consecutively. And you might have to beat three. Yes, just to make the Super yes. Bowl, just to get there, okay? So if you don't think that you can do that, beat those guys consecutively, you're not making the Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't think Tua can do it. No, that's the thing. I, the Dolphins to me are that team you don't want to play in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> you know where it's like they're they're this dangerous, you know, eight seed. Like they're they're kind of like Arkansas. Yeah, he was like, I I didn't want Kansas to draw Arkansas. Right, the they Dolphins did. might they they probably yeah. they might not win the division. And in I which case they're gonna be a wild correct. Card. Like, I, I don't think the Dolphins are going to make the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl, but could the Dolphins take out the Bills or the Chiefs yes. in, in a division round game? Yeah, yes. they could. Yes. You know, or in a wild card game. Yeah, they could. So, um, bit of an overreaction, but I've been very impressed. They're a good team. Okay. Last one, the Patriots. I don't know if you saw last night, but they have changed how to block field goals forever. <laughs> yeah, I'll be interested to see how many uh, coordinators. I, I think this is going to be a lot more widespread. Basically, what they did is they had a guy 
act like he on the was sideline, out of bounds, basically. sideline. Yeah, he was the and 11th guy. And then he just guy. got a running spark, started, sprinted in, and blocked it. Kind of like and a player he, going dude, in motion. He on blocked offense. it yes. like easily. Like he was there, so he almost over, he yes. almost missed it. He was he was so far ahead that he almost dove and literally went past it. The one thing that I have a question on with this is like clearly the Patriots saw something on tape that they had a tell from the Dolphins to know their snap count. You know what I mean? Because like, think about this: if he has his yeah. running start. But they only, don't know yeah. the snap count. It only works. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Did yeah. you ever play like uh, in the old like either NCAA or Madden football games? You would turn off offsides so that you could. But it wouldn't actually turn off offsides to where you could just go offsides and ta- tackle the guy. It would just create an imaginary wall. Did you ever oh, do this? I see it would just that. create an imaginary wall, and in you would just infinitely. Yes, you would. You yeah. would basically so line up as one of the players, and you would just be sprinting in place against an yes. imaginary wall, and you, then you would just like jolt off the line of scrimmage <laughs> and start snap. That's how I felt like this was. Um, I do think that a lot more teams will have this in their game, though. It will change the field goal block game, and will change some special team stuff. We'll see if Dave Tobe does it. All right, two hours down, one to go. More KU football, more KU basketball talk next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get to some uh, Lance Leipold postgame audio after the Nevada game coming up in our next segment on the show. Football's back in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code KLWN to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code KLWN. There is uh, two Monday Night Football games tonight, so that's kind of exciting. With uh, Carolina, New Orleans. Carolina's favored, or I'm sorry, New Orleans favored by three. And then uh, Pittsburgh and Cleveland. And uh, Cleveland, a slight favorite in that one. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com. Slash football terms on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. All right, some more uh, KU football Nevada talk. We'll get to a little more on the uh, Arterio Morris stuff, too. Let's start with KU football. 31-24, to the victory for KU football. What, to you, is the biggest positive for KU football coming away from this game? I think the biggest positive is that uh, you were tested and you rose to the occasion and still got the win, right? I mean, even, even if it was against a lesser opponent, even if it was, uh, you know, something like that. But, listen, you had to overcome a lot of adversity this week. You went on the road. Uh, in, in a mountain time zone, late kick, right? A uh, tough travel schedule, first road game of the season. That all that stuff is going to come. I think that can only serve as positive for this team, right? I mean, you look at the Missouri State game; you were tested a little bit in the second quarter, but not really pushed. Against Illinois, you were up big and kind of let off the gas a little bit in the second half. This was a game where, for all four quarters, you really needed to be locked in. I mean, you know, you really needed to to stay focused throughout the whole game. You know, I, in a game like this where a lesser opponent comes out and hits you like that, maybe that causes you to wobble a little bit. Maybe it you know causes you to fold a little bit, but not KU. They were tested on the road, and they found a way to get the job done. And Again, I think this is a win that nobody's going to remember, but I do think that you could probably later in the season potentially point to a game like this and say, hey, this is a game where 
you know, you learned a lot about your team on the road, first road trip of the season, and in a tough game against an opponent you were supposed to beat, it ended up being tighter, but that didn't you didn't waver because of that, and you still got the win. Yes. I think at the end of the day, yeah, it just comes down to you won the game. You won the game, and that is what matters most. And in college football, where upsets happen all the time, where it's really tough to win on the road, especially in a late-night environment. And, yeah, there were a bunch of external factors that were going against KU that we talked about all throughout the week. And our biggest thing was saying, you know, if Kansas is just them, if if Kansas just handles their own stuff, they're going to be more than fine in this game. Uh, unfortunately, we found out that, you know, it is a little bit tougher to do that. And I think that, that ended up hurting Kansas a little bit in the game. But yeah, you found a way to win. And whether it's across the country, whether it's just looking into the Big 12 specifically, like, yeah, a lot of teams lose games that they're not supposed to. So the fact that you played a game where you very easily could have lost a game you're not supposed to, but found a way to win, that that is a huge positive. Um, I'm going to take a, uh, I don't know, I guess I kind of want to like, I've already waxed poetic about this guy so much this season, so I don't want to like overdo it, but I kind of want to again anyway. JB Brown's awesome. He's like, really good. He's a really, really good player. He played over 40 snaps in this I mean, game. See ball, hit ball. That's what yes. he does. See man with ball, hit man with ball. And like that can be so valuable for a team. It really can. Yeah, um, he, he's very, very talented. Very, he has very good player. 13 tackles this year, one sack, one forced fumble, two pass deflections. They're lining him up all over the field, lining him up at linebacker at you know defense. Unfortunately, end. he did have the play yeah. uh, on Nevada where he had the sack but pulled the guy down by his face mask. But still, a fantastic game. Yes. I also think Kenny Logan had a great game. Yeah. And that's yeah. a big positive for me. You know, because, I don't know, Kenny, Kenny Logan has had some really good years, really good games for KU. Um, By necessity in some cases. Yes, and that's the thing. Like, this was almost, like, I think he was the team's leading tackler in this game, but this was not one of those games where it was by necessity. Yeah. And so to see him have that many tackles and have two and a half tackles for loss where he was the aggressor coming up to hit guys, he had the big tackle in the fourth down and fourth and one or whatever it was for Nevada at the end of the game that ended up winning Kansas the game. That's a huge positive for me that it showed Kenny Logan can put up some of those numbers without, like you said, it's like, oh, he just had 10 tackles because nobody else could tackle before he got there, you know? This was yeah. him being the aggressor and coming up and making those plays. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, what about the biggest negative from the game? You know, watching the game live, I felt this, and I don't know, maybe this is a bit of an overreaction on my part, but I felt like I felt like Jalen Daniels was playing a little bit too much backyard football in the game. It seemed to me as though he was looking for home run balls and looking to, to kind of deliver a knockout blow and you know, taking his time and just kind of playing backyard football a little too much, a little too much. Uh, and, he, and he cost me, he got sacked a couple times because of it. Uh, and so I, I don't know. I'm, and I'm hard, I'm hard pressed to even call that a negative, but that's something that's not going to work against every team. So I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm a little curious about, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know what your thoughts mm-hmm. are on that, but I just thought I, to me, it just felt like watching the game. He was maybe, trying a little bit too hard to go for the home run ball for the knockout punch, playing backyard football a little too much instead of maybe taking what the defense was giving him a little bit more down the, you know, not as far down the field, but I don't know. And again, I don't, I don't really know if I want to call that a negative, but it's something that I noticed popping up consistently with, with his play in the game. Uh, and, and again, he still, he still ended up having a, a really solid game through for almost 300 yards, no passing touchdowns, interestingly enough, yeah. but didn't, didn't turn it over, didn't throw any interceptions either. So still had a really good game, but I don't know. That kind of, it kind of threw me off a little bit because I just don't think that's a recipe for success long term. I think that's fair. 
Uh, you know, you still look at the end of the day. Stats looked good. I, I, uh, my biggest negative for me, it, it does have to do a little more with the offense, but it was the lack of quarterback running game. I think Jalen only had five carries in the game. One was toward the end of the game. Uh, or I think he had seven carries, but like two of them were sacks. Um, I'll be interested to see if that's something that they're doing on purpose because they don't want to get him injured or because he is playing through injury or if that was just something that was out of the playbook for could be injury reason, could be not wanting to show it on tape, could be keeping him healthy for the BYU game, yeah. whatever it is. Because yeah. I, that it, we've talked about it many times. That changes the game so much. It yeah. really does for the KU offense, right? Yeah. So for me, that would probably be the biggest one. Um, as much as the defense gave a 24 and you, you would have liked that to be less against the Nevada offense that wasn't great, I didn't think they played like horribly. And and like, yes, yeah. they've struggled against running quarterbacks. That could be a negative, but you yeah, talked they, about they this last give up week. A couple of big quarterback runs. Yeah, you talked about this last week. There's not a ton of running quarterbacks on the schedule for KU in no, Big 12 play. Not really. Like UCF, especially, especially if John Reese Publi is not yeah, I mean, 100%. Yeah, their backup or, had like 60 rushing yards this past okay, week. Okay, yeah. Okay. So UCF. But I mean, will obviously, have one. John Reese Publi still right. more of a threat. But yeah, I mean, UCF could have one. If Tyler Shuck is healthy by then. That could be one. Quinn for the Ewers Texas doesn't really scramble. No, Dylan really. Gabriel doesn't really scramble. Yeah, outside of I Will mean, Howard could scrambler. have one with uh, Emery, uh, Emery Jones. Emery Jones. Yeah, so he, that's, he, I mean, that's three the good, rest of the way. He has some good right? legs. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't he, know. He, I, I guess Lovis is coming up right now, not really a scrambler. Yeah. But overall, uh, top takeaway is KU just won the game. Yep. And uh, that was the most important thing that best you part of three Best part of winning ugly? Yes. Winning. And especially if you're Kansas football. This yeah. is not this is not the Kansas City Chiefs. You you have a little bit more leg to stand on when it is the Chiefs and they if they won a game like this where like remember last year and even then like me saying this is going to make you think like oh but they ended up winning the Super Bowl so they were fine. The Chiefs having to go into overtime to beat the Texans. <laughs> no, that was funny. Like that's one of those games. It was where not it's like, funny at the time. No, where it it's was like, not funny for my blood pressure. You have a little leg to stand on where it's like okay clearly this team is trying to win a Super Bowl. You can't play like that. Then again, they still won a Super Bowl, so maybe that's more indication just to be like, just win. But for KU football, the expectations, your past success, you have not won Super Bowls. You are trying to improve on being a bowl team from a year before. You, two years ago, went off your, whatever, 14th straight season without even more than three wins. Yeah, you, and obviously at the college level, it's just wins different. are so important because you need to get to that six wins to get to bowl Correct. eligibility. So. so take the win, run and hide. Uh, okay, so the other stuff that happened over the weekend, technically. Do you count Friday night as part of the weekend? Yes. Okay, so uh, over the weekend, Arterio Morris was suspended by the KU men's basketball program. We went over some of the stuff. Highly recommend reading everything and checking it out in the Kansas City Star and at KansasCity.com. And it becomes a very big, interesting question about what's going to happen here. Um, I don't think there's going to be any rash or rushed things that have, like, I don't expect Arteria Morris to be, like, booted off the team here in the next couple weeks. You're, they're going to go through the legal process and see what happens here. Here's my thing, though. Even if this comes down and, and they're able to find some legal loophole to get him out of this and, and there's no, you know, charges that come his way, which it will be an interesting conversation because of the past one that happened, even though he just settled it. Like, I'd imagine if you're a judge or you're the prosecuting lawyer, like, yeah. that does get brought well, up here that it's a second offense, an right? An interesting point about this is, do you think the judge in the Texas case would have accepted this, accepted what they got I don't know. if they were aware that there was this other situation that was possible? Very interesting up? question, which does make you wonder, did it settle? Like, was there? Because, again, I go back to the settlement, 
for Ontario Morris there where it was yeah, pled the, down the timing, to a Class C, right? The timing is conveniently right. easy. It was pled down to a Class C, I believe, which is the lowest classification, but yeah. still enough that it does go on your permanent record, and you still did have to pay a fine, which basically indicates that you are saying there is some level of guilt here. Otherwise, you wouldn't settle to basically say, I have to do those things, right? Yeah. You might be right on that. I don't know because the, I don't, the, I don't know. the way that the story indicates is that the star reached out to the people they needed to for the files they needed to, and you have a three-day notice from KU to get those files back. They reached out on Tuesday. The settlement happened what on was Tuesday or Wednesday? Mm, yeah, last week. Yeah, it was, it was sometime week. in between then, right? Yeah. And then they gave them, which by the way, also this is kind of if this is what happened. This is kind of shady. I don't know this is because they did have three days to give it, and this is when they gave it. But they could have given that information to the star at any point over those three days. The fact that the article came out Friday night and that they had to wait to get those that information, those files from KU, um, basically indicates to me that they were not given those files until the last minute as part of the three-day thing on Friday which basically tells me that the idea from KU was we're going to wait to give these to them so that it, the story doesn't come out till Friday night as the we always hear the term news dump after 5 o'clock, after 6 o'clock on a Friday. I don't know if that's, that is that is what happened or not. If it is, that is shameful. But that's a story for another day because, again, I, I don't know the situation there. Obviously, uh, on the court, going to have a big impact with you know some of the point guard stuff for KU and minutes and who's going to be in the rotation and all that sort of stuff. But... Um, I guess the point is here, like, of course there is a, a chance, like, there is a percentage chance, I don't know what the number would be, that Ontario Morris does play for KU. But I think this is going to last such a long time, like, into the season, that he's probably going to be sitting on the bench at the start of the season. And don't you think that would be such a huge distraction if you're KU? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, like at, I mean, is it is it even worth it at that point, right? Like, we talked about him sitting it. on the bench and have everyone see him and to have the broadcast maybe talk about it and bring exactly. it up. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. And 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 again, you're going from being a top five preseason team, one of the national title favorites, to a top five preseason team being one of the national title favorites with or without him on the team. It's it's not a big deal, right? This is Kansas. You have elite players. Like that's not the issue. And I think kind of circling back it's like you know bill self talked about wanting to take the program to new levels well does that mean they're just overlooking anything else because this is clearly just a situation where you know it's not like arterio morris had a lot of other real true teams recruiting him after he left from texas why because probably they were concerned about his past and kansas either willfully overlooked that stuff to in order to get him on or convince themselves that it was that they could, you know, fix it or whatever or however that it was going to be fine to bring him on, and and that's that's really tough to see because I think I think a lot of KU fans and I think myself included here kind of ha- ran with the idea of, you know, what Bill Self has has been with KU for twenty years. He knows the standards that KU has. He's 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 built part of the standards that KU has. If there was anybody that would be understanding of what kind of risk it would be to, to, to bring on a player like this, it would be Bill Self. If there was anybody that would have access to information, all the information they need to make a clear decision on, is this the type of player that we want to bring on our program or not, it would be Bill Self. And so I think, I think from the outside perspective, you just kind of had to lean on that and say, okay, well, I guess we're just going to put some faith in Bill Self and the KU coaching staff here that they, they know what they're doing, they've made the right decision. 
but at the end of the day, this this was always a possibility that this was going to backfire and, and blow up pretty badly. Yeah, and, and, and that's exactly what happened. Well, to what you're talking about, I think this is proof that that isn't always the case, guys. This yeah. isn't always the situation of, well, they know more than we do, so you know the blame's off me. My hands are clean. You know that that isn't always a proper solution. And I think this also shows the importance of asking these questions and the importance of why these things do need to be questioned, right? I got a lot of flack. I'll be completely honest. I got a lot of flack when, when I talked about it, I didn't think they should bring on Arteria Morris and all that stuff when it first happened. And maybe deservedly so, whatever. But the reason, like, I, I think it's fair that I asked those questions and that a lot of people were asking those questions because this is what happens. And, and if you go back to, the, this is the original statement that was made by KU. We are aware of the charge that Ontario is facing in the state of Texas. This is when they first brought him on. In addition to working so, yeah, with our athletic department and campus administrators, we have also spoken at length with Ontario, his family, his former institution's university, student affairs office, and his former institution's department of athletics, compliance, and administration offices. Based on these discussions, we're comfortable welcoming Ontario to the University of Kansas, and he's well aware of the high standards and expectations that come with being a member of the Kansas men's basketball program. We fully expect him to meet those daily. Guess what? He did not. They, yeah, they failure. Were, they were not met. Yeah. Failure by Arteria Morris. Failure by Bill Self. Failure by KU. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We got some Lance Leipold post game next. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so. As you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter, RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.